The Guardian. Hi, I'm RJ Palacio, and you're listening to the Guardian Children's Books podcast. And I thought today that I would read a little bit from my book, Wonder. I'm going to start out with the very beginning of the book. Chapter one is called Ordinary. I know I'm not an ordinary 10-year-old kid. I mean, sure, I do ordinary things. I eat ice cream, I ride my bike, I play ball, I have an Xbox. Stuff like that makes me ordinary, I guess. And I feel ordinary inside. But I know ordinary kids don't make other ordinary kids run away screaming in playgrounds. I know ordinary kids don't get stared at wherever they go. If I found a magic lamp and I could have one wish, I would wish that I had a normal face that no one ever noticed at all. I would wish that I could walk down the street without people seeing me and then doing that look away thing. Here's what I think. The only reason I'm not ordinary is that no one else sees me that way. But I'm kind of used to how I look by now. I know how to pretend I don't see the faces people make. We've all gotten pretty good at that sort of thing. Me, mom and dad, Via. Actually, I take that back. Via's not so good at it. She can get really annoyed when people do something rude. Like, for instance, one time in the playground, some older kids made some noises. I don't even know what the noises were exactly because I didn't hear them myself, but Via heard, and she just started yelling at the kids. That's the way she is. I'm not that way. Via does not see me as ordinary. She says she does, but if I were ordinary, she wouldn't feel like she needs to protect me as much. And mom and dad don't see me as ordinary either. They see me as extraordinary. I think the only person in the world who realizes just how ordinary I am is me. My name is August, by the way. I won't describe what I look like. Whatever you're thinking, it's probably worse. I'm intrigued. What did you first know about August? You know, he just kind of came to me fully formed in a way after a scene had sort of played out with my children. Um, There's a scene in the book, in fact, very reminiscent of what inspired me to write the book, which was my sons and I were in front of an ice cream store. And my younger son was about three years old at the time. And there was a child with a very severe facial, craniofacial um, difference sitting next to us. And it was the way my children responded to her and the way I responded to the way my children responded, which was to overreact and not take the opportunity to teach them. I kind of ran away from the scene trying to prevent anything. You know, my younger son started crying and uh, I thought the best thing at the time to do was to sort of leave very quickly. Um, But I realized as soon as I did that, that it was actually the opposite of what I should have done. What I should have done is use that opportunity as a teaching moment for my children. Uh, We're always looking for teaching moments and and here I'd blown my one opportunity to sort of show him that there was nothing to be afraid of, that, that she was just an ordinary girl. And anyway, that scene sort of kept replaying in my mind and, and started me thinking about what it must be like to be a child having to face a world every day who doesn't know how to face you back. And um, I started writing that night. As we've heard in the first chapter, you, you never actually describe his face. And, and as you said, he says, I won't describe what I look like. Whatever you're thinking, it's probably worse. Why did you make that decision? Well, I don't describe his face until maybe 100 or 111 pages in, I think, where his sister does describe his face in some detail. He never describes his face because for him, I think, 
it's a given. He, he knows what he looks like. I don't think he likes to dwell on the way he looks too much. I also wanted the reader to get to know him on the inside before realizing what he looked like on the outside. I think readers, especially younger readers, might imagine what he looks like in their own minds, but after a while, it doesn't really matter. They've come to identify with him so much. And it's a bit of a shock when they finally do realize what he actually does look like. Um, so it takes some time, but I really wanted them to be able to identify directly with Augie. And if they thought he looked too different from them, they might not make that I- identification. There's a lot of humor in the book, which is wonderful. Is it difficult when you're writing about a subject like this to, to introduce humor? And is it a fine line you, you had to tread as you were writing it? You know, I thought that the humor came naturally because uh, the parents are funny, the kids are funny, and they have to find the humor in it. And, and it's funny because uh, not too long ago I met with uh, some parents that I'd never known before but who are parents of a child with a craniofacial difference. And they said that what they loved most about the book was that there was so much humor throughout. And the father said to me, you know, because in a way we have to find the humor in all of this. And they started telling me some really funny story about the way people were reacting to their own kids. I mean, they were making the best of it and finding humor where they could and finding kindness wherever they could. It's what they live with. And um, all they ask is for compassion and kindness. In some ways, yes, it's a book about a boy with a craniofacial difference, but for me this was ultimately a meditation on kindness and the impact of kindness and the power of kindness to save our lives, to save the world, something that uh, needs to be prioritized more in terms of the way we approach raising our children. Do you think it's partly that attitude that has made the book such a crossover success? So many adults have read it and loved it and have written about it and enjoyed it. Everybody can identify with that kid because we all know what it's like to be the new kid. We all know what it's like or remember what it's like to be the outsider at some point in our lives. And I think for parents, watching our kids grow up is a way of reliving all of those sort of heartbreaking moments in our own lives and trying to protect our children from having those same heartbreaks, which of course is impossible. So the book does open up a lot of dialogue and conversation, I think, between parents and kids, and and I think that's why the parents really like it. It's funny, though, because the kids read it, and they think it's a funny book, and they love it and all of that, but it's the parents who talk about crying a lot. So I've never heard about a kid crying when they've read the book, but the parents are weeping. (laughs) But the the adults in the book don't have a a voice in it, do they? They don't have any chapters dedicated to them, unlike most of the other characters. Right. No, I I purposely left the parents out, um, even though we can, as readers, we can read between the lines about what they may be thinking, but we only see the mom and dad really through the very idealized eyes of Augie, and there was a reason for that. I, I, I know that if I were to have opened up the book and listened to the mom's perspective and the dad's perspective, it would have maybe taken on a slightly darker tone, and I wanted to keep this really for kids primarily. I mean, this really was the audience I was writing for. And, and the mom, especially, is, is somebody who, you know, she only shows one side of herself, I think, to Augie, and even Via. She kind of shields them, or especially Augie, from maybe a lot of the things that she's really thinking, or, or she internalizes, because she's trying to show a very positive outlook on their situation. And I think she thinks probably it's not wise to share too much of what she's really thinking with her son at this moment in time. But I'm sure if she were to have a, a gin and tonic at a bar with a friend of hers, she would be a little less sweet and a little less you know, understanding. She would probably be, you know, there would be another side to her. And I, and I didn't want to go there for this book. You've worked in publishing for a number of years, but as a designer, mm-hmm. 
designing book jackets. Did you always want to write? Always wanted to write. And in fact, when I was trying to decide what to do with my life and, you know, going to college, and I decided very consciously that the two things that I really thought I could make a living at were writing or art, illustration specifically. So I went to art school and, and I did. I became a graphic designer and an illustrator. But I was always writing on my own and for my own without any idea. Of, I, I mean, I, I thought someday, you know, someday I'll write a book and I'll, hopefully it'll get published. But it's not something that I was trying to do or I needed to make a living at because I was making this other living. Oh. But this book, the theme of this book kind of, as I said before, just presented itself to me and I thought, okay, this is my moment. This is when I'm going to take the moment to actually, the time to write this book is now. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.